Welcome to the After Hours Question and Answer Session, where your favorite cabling guru is here to answer your questions. How's everybody doing tonight? Let me turn the branding dog off. There we go. Now I can put the comments in. How's everybody doing tonight? As you know, this is our typical Thursday night after hours kind of thing. Uh, as always, you are allowed to bring your own beverage tonight. My beverage is sweet tea. Now, my wife made unsweet tea, but I had to sweeten it because I um, wasn't in the mood for unsweet tea. I've been working on a barn all day today, and I needed something with some kick. So sweet tea it is. It's not made with regular sugar. It's made with some other kind of sugar substitute. So make sure you tell us in the comments, what are you drinking tonight? <clears throat> Alcoholic adult beverages are allowed because it is after hours, by the way. So let's talk about some stuff, right? So first off, you're, you're going to notice over the next few weeks that I'm changing the branding of everything. Um, long story short, um, Chuck made a mistake and used something he shouldn't have used and tried to negotiate a deal and it just didn't happen. So I'm rebranding everything. So you're going to see a change in everything, podcast name, graphic arts, all that fun stuff. So don't panic. It's just changing the name. I'm doing it now while the channel's small and we only have 16 videos, I think, and some live stream stuff. Also, don't forget to make sure, if you haven't already done so, enter into the contest for your Bixie Pit Pocket Field Guide. Um, it's a set of three, copper, fiber, and general installation practices. All you can do is enter your email. And uh, we're picking the winner for that on December 20th. So and you got a pretty good chance of winning that. And then finally, I wanted to put a shout-out to my, my favorite folks over at Low Voltage Nation. They're close to publishing your book, so make sure you go check them out. And see what's going on with them. So tonight is your is a QA session. So we're doing I'm doing a little differently tonight. So I didn't have to create a PowerPoint and, and all that fun stuff. Last week, right after we did the previous one on cable topologies. And I said we're gonna do a QA session. So I said, put your email me your questions or send me your questions via LinkedIn and stuff like that. Well, you guys showed up. And so here's how we're gonna be doing the questions. First, I'm going to answer the questions that were submitted to me via email. I'm giving those guys preference because they're they're a part of the team and they submitted first. I'm going to answer them, and then I'm going to go ahead and answer any questions that gets posted in the chat. So that's how we're going to answer that. So again, this is your chance to talk, ask me any kind of questions about communications, cabling, copper, fiber, project management, estimating, career advice, anything, anything like that, anything like that. So the first question I got was from Jonathan B. Jonathan B. asked me, how does excessive cable lubricant affect cable? Well, it makes it fail is what it does. Let's talk about cable lubricant. So cable lubricant is conductive. So what it really does is it, it pulls the electrons out of the cable and they dissipate in the lubrication. So what that means is you're generally going to fail because of insertion loss. So if you get a failed test result and your length is okay, and your return loss is okay, but you fail insertion loss, you have most likely have used too much cable pulling lubricant or your cable's wet or in water somewhere. If you have the Fluke DTX tester, you can go into the HDTX function and actually pinpoint where that is. Um, I'm pretty sure Wirescope probably does as well. Mike, if you're listening, make sure that you put in the comments if you have the same ability. I'm pretty sure you guys do. I think I saw that once. Um, so I do have some resources. So if you have any other questions about testing, I can reach out to my buddy Mike at Softing or my buddy Adrian at Fluke. 
you know, Chuck's connected. <laughs> it's not what you know, it's who you know. And this, while we're talking about cable pulling lubricant, when you're using cable pulling lubricant, make sure you use lubricant that is especially designed for high performance data cabling, poly water, clear glider, anything like that. Yellow 77 is designed for outside plant cabling, not inside plant cabling. And when you're using cable pulling lubricant, never, never, never use soap from the bathroom. But Chuck, it works in a jiffy. Yeah, until it dries. And then it acts like a glue. So never use soap from the restroom. Always use the appropriate lubricant. And then when you're using cable pulling lubricant, it's not a contest to see how much lubricant you can get on the end of that cable. Because when the cable comes out of the conduit, you're going to do two things. Number one, you're really going to make that person mad on the other side because they can no longer pull the cable because it's too slippery, because you put too much cable pulling lubricant on it. And the second thing is you could potentially get a failed test result. You only want to use enough cable pulling lubricant so you have just so you can get it through that system. Next time you pull a cable through conduit and you're having to use cable pulling lubricant, try this test. After you get done pulling the cable through the conduit system after you've lubed it up, test it immediately. You know, throw some connectors on, test it. And then go back and finish pulling the rest of the cables and then terminate. And then at the end of the project, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, a couple months later, go back and retest that cable and compare those two test results. You will see the insertion loss values change as that cable pulling lubricant changes from a wet state to a dry state. Because as it changes to a dry state, then it doesn't pull the electrons out of that cable. So excessive pulling lubricant is not a good thing. It'll cause you to fail. So the second question that we have tonight is from Mike O in Idaho. By the way, the last, the last question actually came from Canada. Nice. So Mike O from Idaho says, Please settle an argument with me between me and a partner. Can I use cable snips or strippers to when removing the jacket of a cable? Okay, it really depends on how you want me to answer that. Um, most manufacturers who are going to tell you how to strip that cable so you can get the warranty are going to tell you to use cable strippers. But I'm going to tell you right now, I used a pair of snips. I happen to have a pair on my desk. I've used snips for years and years and years. I've never had problems with them. But I will also tell you that if you do use snips and you and you, and you scratch and you scratch that jacket, you, you want so you just scratch the jacket. So then when you bend the cable, you hear it snap, click, and then bend it the other way, snip, and then pull the jacket off. The, what you got to watch out for with the with the snips is if you dig too deep in, you're going to give yourself what's called a shiner. Now a shiner is if you take a flashlight and you aim it at the cable that you just stripped the jacket off of. If a shiner is, you'll see copper shining back at you. It's an old Ma Bell term, right? So that's why it's called a shiner. That's bad. That means you've nicked the conductor. Now, when you go to route the cable into the jack, there's a potential that that, that conductor will break. And it may not, you may not see it break. So what will happen is you'll terminate it. And then you know, a week or two weeks later, when you're testing the cable, you're going to get it open and you're going to go back and you're going to pop it open. You're going you're gonna to be slapping yourself because... You're like, oh, man, that's what's wrong with it. So if you're not worried about the warranty and you're really good with, with a pair of snips, absolutely, you can strip them. But I do recommend that you check and make sure that you don't have any shiners. If you want to be absolutely safe or you're new at doing cabling and you don't have that muscle memory built up yet, buy a cable stripper because they got the blades in it and you can adjust the depth so they just barely go through the jacket so that we get an easily repeatable result. 
easily repeatable result. Snips, you don't get that easily repeatable result until you build up that muscle memory, until you've done, you know, a couple thousand jacks. So it could take time. So so I'm sorry, I probably didn't solve your your argument there with your partner, right? So it just kind of really all depends. So Derek W. from Ohio, he asks, I want my RCDD. What is the best route to get that? Well, Derek, you didn't tell me where you are in your career because there are certain requirements that you have to have before you can even apply to become a Bixie RCDD. For those who are watching and may not know what an RCDD is, that's a registered communications distribution designer. That's somebody who has studied the, these set of books called the Telecom Distributions Methods Manuals, the TDMM, and they are considered experts in designing telecommunication systems. So they're really good at that stuff. So you didn't, they've got certain requirements to be able to even sit for that exam. So you didn't tell me your, a little bit of your history, so I don't know what's going on there. But what I've found is it really depends on the person. I was just have, talking about this last night at a dinner with a friend. Uh, one of my friends, one of my mentors is, is down in Florida for classes. At I met him over in Tampa for dinner and we were just talking about this. And I said, you know, he, we got talking about the RCD and I told him it really depends on what kind of a learner you are. Everybody learns differently because in order to pass that exam, you have to know that information in that TDM intimately. I mean, you have to know it inside and out. Now, that's why it caused me so much of a problem. It took me actually two times to pass. I passed on my second attempt because the first time when I read through the book and I was reading and said how to do stuff, I laughed the entire time because I was like, that's not how we do this in the field. But I was taught wrong. And that's the thing about that, that we have quite often in our industry. We do have some people that are willing to teach you, but do they know the right way or were they taught wrong by somebody? And that's where the TDM comes into play. That should solve that. That's the correct way to actually design and, and solve it. So there's a couple of different methods you can do. Um, if you're already um, you're good at book learning, you just read through the books, memorize the books, sit down, take the test. You can do that. Absolutely. If you're good at memorizing information. You can also, um, some people like to do the study courses. Bixie offers them and so do some other places as well. They have study courses where you can come in for a day or two and they literally, they're called highlighter courses because you literally go through the TDMM with a highlighter and you highlight information. Now, when I did mine, what I did was I'm a goal oriented person. So what I did was I found out, I picked a date when they were going to be conducting the RCDD exam. And then I, I said, okay, well, that's X amount of days. I don't remember how many it was off the top of my head. And then I divided the number of pages in the book by those days. So I was like, okay, well, I got to read 30 pages a day in order to get through these books by the time I'm going to be sitting down for my exam. And as I was reading through the books, I was writing on my little index cards, notes that I thought were you know, going to be on the test. And, uh, and then I went and took that test. The, um, I failed that first test, like I mentioned. So I went back and uh, and I'm I'm also one of the persons that you know if I fail something, I'm gonna step it up twofold because I want to I want to beat that that thing that I couldn't do before. This is a perfect example of that. Um, I, a couple of years back, actually eight or nine years ago, my company sent me to our corporate office in New York to create videos, and they put me in front of a camera, and I was just a nervous wreck, and they, we couldn't use any of that footage. And now look at me. I've got two YouTube channels and two podcasts. So I saw that as a, as a something, a skill that I needed to fix, and I fixed it. So what I did was, you know, so when I passed, failed it the first time, I said, okay, how can I beat this? 
So then you know, I, I picked another time they were conducting an exam, but this time I did it within 30 days. And I really studied hard. And I found what the problem was. I wasn't a good test taker. Because at the time when I got out of that, I failed that first exam. I'd been out of high school for 20 years. I hadn't been in test taking mode in a long, long time. And so I got out of the whole test taking mode and, and test tactics and all that other stuff. So I actually had to do some practice exams to get my brain to think about questions again. And that's how I did it. Um, I also heard people actually taking the Bixie Technician course as a precursor to sitting for the RCD exam, because there's a lot of information that overlay between those two programs. There's a lot of stuff that's in the RCDD that's not in the Bixie Technician stuff, but it's a good foundation. And like I said, Bixie also has their <clears throat> their classes that you can take, the prep classes, and that's going to cost you money. So what it boils down to is, do you want to spend money or you do not want to spend money? Because that's going to determine which route that you're going to go. Even if you don't take those courses, it's still going to cost you money. It's still going to cost you money to sit for the exam. It's going to cost you money for the application fee. There are costs associated with it. But you will find that you will net that back tenfold the first year. Because as soon as you got that certification, you are looked at by the industry as an expert. So it's a good certification to have. And I hope that you get it. And if you have any questions, comments, or or need some guidance, feel free to reach out to me on the side, either direct message on LinkedIn or anything like that. Just reach out to me and I'm there for you. And then this question actually wasn't sent to me specifically as a question, but I picked it up from, I talked about low voltage nation. So when you're low voltage nation, when you're part of that group, it's a peer to peer network. They have this thing called a Slack channel. You can go into Slack channel and they, they post and it's, it's a bunch of people in the communications industry helping each other, you know, via, Hey, how do you program this piece of equipment? Or, hey, look at this closet that I did. Hey, is there anybody, anybody have any guys in, in northern Florida? And just, it's, it's a great group. That's how I stay in touch with the people in the field. Because let's, let's be honest here. I'm removed from the field. I've been in the field for 20 years. I'm 10 years as a trainer. So I have lost touch with some of the things that's going on in the field. So that's why I'm in that group to kind of get my the back into that. So that way I, I'm current with that stuff. So in that Slack channel, somebody was talking about buying tools and he asked, should I buy insulated tools or not? So my response was, absolutely, you should, because it's safety. So for those of you not know what insulated tools are, right? So you can buy a tool and you can buy it with what's got the insulated handle. So that way, if it gets hit by uh, accidental energy, you know, you, you, you cut through something you weren't supposed to. It's because that tool is insulated, there's less chance of you getting shocked or injured. So absolutely, you should always buy and use insulated tools, always. So Jocelyn from Georgia, she asked me, can you explain just how big four times outside diameter the cable is and why that's important? This is a funny one. It really, really is. So there's actually an easy way you can figure out four times. So the standards say that our cables can't exceed four times the outside diameter of the cable. So if you have a cable, like I just happen to have one on my desk because I am a trainer, right? You need to know what is the outside diameter for this cable. Now you can get that piece of information on the cut sheet or you can go to the manufacturer's website and look it up. And it's going to range anywhere from, depending on what size, what category rating of cable it is and what performance level it is. So, for example, you can get Category 6A cable in a couple of different levels. 
So you can actually get Category 6A. For example, the manufacturer that I work for, we offer in three different sizes, 0 0.25, 0 0.275, 0 0.31. But the standard allows for that bend radius to be up to um, – I can't remember that's the maximum they can allow you to have. Let's say the outside, let's say the bend radius is uh, 0.31. So if I want to find out how big of a bend radius I can have for this cable, if you really want to get technical and you want to show off, get out your smartphone calculator, right? So you get out your little calculator, you put in a, a, that outside dimension. I just came to my head is 0.375. So let's say we have one of those really big Cat 6A cables, one of the first generation ones. So you can put in 0.375 in your calculator, and then you can hit X for times four and then equals to find out what the result. That means you have an inch and a half bend radius, an inch and a half bend radius. That means you can't exceed that. That's a pretty big bend radius. But in the field, let's be honest, who is going to be breaking out calculators to calculate bend radiuses? Nobody's going to be doing that. Very few people do that. I only do it because I was taught by a cable engineer on how to do that. I'm going to show you how to Find out a cable's bend radius without knowing the size of the cable or without touching a calculator. So you need to get a piece of the cable. And I happen to have another piece of cable right here because I just got cable everywhere in my office. So I got this cable, and this is Cat6 cable. I want to find out what my bend radius is so I don't exceed it. I don't have the information. I don't know what size cable it is. I had to leave my smartphone out in the truck because I'm working on a secured government site. So I don't have access to a calculator. And I'm not that good at math, right? Take a piece of the cable you're working with, flip it over, make a loop. Pull that loop together slowly. And what you'll see is eventually at some point, it naturally kicks itself out. Where it kicks itself out, that is the bend radius. Do not exceed that. You now know what the, what the bend radius for that cable is. And you didn't touch a calculator. That's the best part of that. Now, the reason that that's important is because when you exceed the bend radius, it will affect the cable's performance. You will most likely get a fail because those cables, the, the pairs within the cable are all twisted. They're twisted at different rates. And those four pairs are also twisted at different rates. So when you bend the cable or you kink the cable, you're changing the physical characteristics of the cable and it will cause it to fail. I hope that answered your question, uh, Jocelyn. So the next one is, it's Derek from Southern California. Derek says, which is better, tier one testing or tier two testing? So for those who may not know what tier one or tier two testing is, those are two different ways that you can test fiber optic cable. Tier one testing using a power meter and a light source. Tier two testing using an OTDR, optical time domain reflectometer. So the real answer to that question is, it depends on what your end goal is. If your end goal is for manufacturing certification, you want a warranty from the manufacturer. The majority of the manufacturers will tell you, you have to do tier one testing, right? And the reason for that is tier one testing is more accurate than tier two testing. Now, I know you're probably thinking, my fiber guys are thinking, but Chuck, an OTDR is really, really good. It is really, really good, but it's not as accurate as a tier one tester. A tier one tester, it's measuring the actual loss between the transmitter and the receiver. Tier two testing, it's a calculation of loss. The, the, granted, it's a very close calculation, but it's still a calculation. Now, the problem with tier one testing is when you go to test that cable, if you don't meet your fiber optic loss, but maybe that's a maybe that's a future show, fiber optic loss budgets. Um, 
I just thought that thought just crossed my mind. So if you test it with a tier one tester and your fiber optic cable fails, the problem with the tier one tester is you don't know where that loss is. You got to figure that out, right? So that's the problem with tier one testers. Um, tier two testers, now, even though it's very accurate, but it's not as accurate as tier one tester, it will tell you where that event is, where that loss is coming from. It'll tell you, you know, if it's a mated pair that's causing you problems or if it's a um, a kink in the cable or a splice in the cable or a cut in the cable. It will tell you down to the foot where that problem is. So tier two testing is really good for troubleshooting, you know, if you're trying to figure out what's going on with the cable. So, again, just kind of depends on what your, your, what your angle is. Are you looking for certification or, if, or are you looking for testing something or troubleshooting something? Lewis L., and I forgot, I didn't write down where he um, was from. And his question is, I am just starting in this industry. I used to be a waiter. What can I do to make more money? <laughs> wow, that's a good question there. So there's three things that you can actually do. Right there's you can you can increase your soft skills, your hard skills, and certifications. So the soft skills are things you can do now. Now I don't know Lewis L. I'm just going to answer this question so it can be applicable to everybody. This is probably not Lewis because based on just because he asked this question. So the soft skills that you absolutely need that you that you can have today or tomorrow actually because it's after business hours now. Uh, the skills you can have tomorrow that will make an impact on how much you get paid are. Being on time. Absolutely. Being on time. If you if if you if you're supposed to be there at eight o'clock, be there at seven thirty. If you're supposed to, you know, don't my, my my dad, a former Marine, he used to tell me, if you're 15 minutes early, son, you're five minutes late. I was like, okay, dad. I used to thought he was just being a jerk, but no, it was actually really good life advice. He had lots of good life advice, actually. Lots of good life advice. So be on time because nothing annoys a project manager or, or something else. Somebody who doesn't isn't on time. Because if you're late for work, that's a huge sign of disrespect. That's that's showing that other person that their, that their time is not as valuable as yours. That, that's the message. You, that's maybe not the intent, but that is the message you're sending. You're saying your time is not as valuable as mine. Okay. The the second one is work ethic. Work ethic. Yes, absolutely. So get there early and be, you know, don't get there and just say, okay, well, I want to read the paper before I get to work. No, get right to work. You know, seek out the next thing that needs to be done. Don't wait to be told. Work ethic. And then attitude is another soft skill, right? Good attitude will take you a long way. And these again, these are things that you can start tomorrow. Your boss will notice this and you know, and over a duration of time, it could cause you to maybe make more money. Uh, and then also this one's a good one too. Be coachable, be coachable because not everybody knows everything about our industry. I don't know everything about this industry. I've been in this industry for 40 years and I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know everything. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. You got to be a good learner. So be coachable. And you know, so when somebody comes to say, hey, Chuck, you're doing this wrong. You really need to don't don't think that that person's being a jerk. He, they're trying to teach you how to do something. So those are the things you can implement tomorrow. So then there's hard skills. You want to learn. You want to learn about our industry. And, and you're probably thinking, well, Chuck, um, I don't have money to invest in classes. Okay. I'll tell you some free ways that you can get training 
and be better for it. Uh, for example, um, I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> Chuck's got really bad handwriting here. Oh, jeez. Or is it because we can't read? Um, I don't even know what that says. So, for example, there's a magazine called Cable Installation and Maintenance Magazine. They do free webcasts, two of them a month. Great way to learn our industry. And then if you miss it, they're recorded, you can watch them later. And then they put them on the website, and they keep a historical streamline. So you can actually go, I think, up to back up to two months and watch those ones as well. Um, another manufacturer, another thing to do is um, Bright Talk. Look them up, brighttalk.com. They got free classes as well. If you're on LinkedIn and you're paying for the LinkedIn Prime, they, there's this thing called LinkedIn Learning. There's free classes there. A lot of the manufacturers also have free training. Um, oh, that's what it is. It's uh, it's Brother Systems. That's what it was. Brother Systems. My buddy Todd over there. They got a couple classes you can take. Their, their class is going to be on administration and labeling and stuff like that, but it's still free class. Still free class, and you get a certification at the end of it, and then you can give that, that certificate to your boss. And then the third one is certifications in the industry, right? Bixie installer certification, Bixie technician certification, RCDD. Um, there's other ones out there as well, too, if you want to get your CDS certification, if you're doing AV. Now, those all cost money, and so generally what's probably going to happen is your company is going to send you, or you may have to ask your company to send you, in which case your company will then probably make you sign what's called a training agreement, right? Because they're going to spend, you know, $1,500, $2,000, dollars $2, or maybe more for you to attend the class. Then they got to pay your salary while you're in that class. And then they got to pay your travel expenses. So they want to make sure that you don't get the certification. And then literally the next week, quit and go somewhere else because now you got the certification and you want to make, you know, seven cents more an hour. So they probably make you sign a training. And they're generally one or two years, and they're usually prorated. So they're going to say, look, if you leave within you know 24 months, then you have to pay prorated amount back to the company. So those are those, those, are those kinds of options. All right. So those are the questions I received on, on via email, and I don't see any questions coming in on the chat. Hey, John, how you doing? Good to see you, buddy. Um, so very good. All right, so let me know uh, if you want me to do this format again another time or maybe even next week. Until then, everybody, be safe out there and make sure you listen to the podcast. Take care. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.